Hi, welcome to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute and a fellow with the International Leadership Association. This podcast is part of a series hosted in conjunction with the International Leadership Association as part of their 2020 Global Leadership Conference, focusing on leading at the edge. At the Innovative Leadership Institute, we help leaders elevate the quality of their leadership and co-create the thriving future they seek. We assist them in navigating the disruptive trends they're facing, developing strategies to elevate themselves and their organizations to continually meet the challenges they face. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am delighted that on our show today is Otto Scharmer. Otto is a senior lecturer at MIT and the co-founder of the Presencing Institute. He introduced the concept of presencing, learning from the emerging future in his best-selling books, Theory U and Presence. Otto is the co-author of Leading from the Emerging Future. His most recent book, The Essentials of Theory U, outlines the core principles and application of awareness-based system change. Theory U blends system thinking, innovation, and leading change from the viewpoint of an evolved human consciousness. Otto's first book sold over 100,000 copies, and to put that into context, the average self-published book sells about 250 copies, and the average traditional book sells 3,000 in its lifetime. During this discussion, we'll talk about his latest book, The Essentials of Theory U, Core Principles and Applications. This book meets a crucial need at this point in history by helping us bring necessary change to the foundational systems from the place of deep consciousness and perspective taking for all key stakeholders, including the future as a stakeholder. So Otto, I'm delighted to have you join us. Do you want to tell our listeners anything about you before we talk about what is Theory U and what is Presencing? Thank you, Maureen, for having me on. I don't know whether I need to tell anything before. Maybe one thing, which is what's referred to today as Theory U, how I came about was really following and listening to innovators in society, right? So in business, in science, in other sectors, and listening to them What I realized is when they share, when they have a safe space to share their own story, it's a deeper narrative than the usual innovation and leadership story that's usually conveyed to us when we go to business schools or other places. That really brought me into the realm of theory. It was really by listening to the practitioners of the field. I remember (laughs) one situation, In the early years, so once I developed the framework a little bit, I went around to places across sectors and across countries and cultures and, you know, showed up, shared a little bit the findings and then basically listened to people, what stories they had in terms of this deeper territory of leadership. I remember there was one day I did one of these sessions in Vienna. So there was one very experienced practitioner who was sitting there and who was really quiet the whole time. So he didn't participate in the conversation. So I had no idea what he thought. So when everything was done and over with, I went up to him and said, hey, so so what do you think? And then he said, so he went quiet for a moment. And so almost as if he was moved by, by the conversation, he said, well, it wasn't that 
everything you said was radically new to me. I just didn't know that I know, right? I just didn't know that I know. So that is, for me, being an action researcher, the highest currency possible. That's the highest compliment I can. Because I don't, what I try to do is not come up with fancy new concepts. That's, that creates more confusion in a moment where we are already confused to begin with. What is my highest goal, if you want, is to offer perspectives or distinctions that help us to make visible what we already know, what we already know in our best moments, in the moment of transformation, in the moment of creative breakthrough. And then if you have that framework, what was implicit before, you can become more aware and therefore you can use and leverage your own best experiences that you have as a leader more intentionally and more consciously going forward. So that's maybe um, the only pre-remark, which is the whole thing really came together through listening. And you've created, and this is the thing I love because I've been a student of your work for over a decade, and we're bringing this to our listeners, some of whom are very familiar, I'm sure, and some for whom this is new work. One of the things I love is that you have practical processes and approaches that it's not just something I read in a book and say, oh, wasn't that nice, but I can actually take action based on it. That's true. I mean, theory is really two things. I would, I would say, say maybe three, three things, things, but the, the two, two main, main things, things is one, it's, it's a framework, framework right? It's a perspective, framework that offers a new perspective on leadership and on transformational change from a systems perspective. And the other one is it's a method. It's like how, okay, so now I know kind of the different layers or states of awareness that a system can operate from, but how do I move from one to the others? It's really the how-to. And as leaders, of course, that's ultimate the question. And as change makers, that's ultimate the question we all are resting with. So that's, that's actually the main part because the framework was, was already there Pretty much, I mean, it's, it keeps evolving, but pretty much in the first stage. But then where the main effort is going is refining methods and tools that allow you to operate from a different place. So for our listeners, again, I assume for some, this is a refresher. For others, this is new. And we'll add a blog so that people can see what the steps in the U are. Can you walk people through a little bit of what is this method and what gap does it fill that others have not yet addressed? Okay, so let's start with just one data point, which was really instrumental for me in investigating and exploring this deeper territory of leadership. So in the early interviews that I did that I already mentioned, one of them was one of my interviewees was the late CEO of Hanover Insurance, Bill O'Brien. And so he's also quite often quoted in Peter Senge's The Fifth Discipline. So many listeners may be familiar already with him. He went through his experience of leading transformational change, the episodes that were successful and those that were less. And then reflecting on all his experiences, his personal experience in leading transformational change with this line, he said, the success of an intervention depends on the interior condition of the intervener. So in other words, to translate that, the success of what I do as a leader not only depends on what I do and how I do it, the process that I use, but depends on the inner place 
from that I operate depends on the source dimension from where my attention and intention and action is originated from. And when I heard that, I knew that we know everything about the what, we know everything about the, or not everything, but a lot about the how, right, in leadership research. But what do we know about this inner place, the source dimension of what leaders do? And so that really opened up this deeper territory. So that's kind of really, you could say, kind of was one of my points where I woke up. And another wake up point that I had is because I'm an action researcher, I helped a lot of leaders and change makers in progressing with their initiatives for many years. So one of the things I have been constantly coming across is this, and I'm sure it will resonate with many of the listeners here, which is the kind of changes that most people find themselves confronted with in these days. And 2020 and 2021 is like even a multiplied or amplified version of that. So the kind of challenges that we face today, which is by and large challenges of disruption is one thing, right? But then what we got from the traditional change management and management tools is another thing. And between those two things is basically a gap, an abyss, right? And that's where you are as a leader. So in other words, there's a real misfit between the traditional toolkit of change management on the one hand and the real challenges of disruption we face on the other hand. And I was always interested in so how we can not fill the gap, but how we can operate in the context of such, such an abyss. And what I learned by, in part, my own experience, and in part, but mostly by, by listening to others and being part of practical change initiatives is that when you face a moment of real disruption, what happens is that all the traditional navigation instruments, right, the exterior navigation instruments that you tended to operate from, stop really working or stop working well. And then what you are left with is your inner knowing, right, is your capacity to sense, to connect with emerging future possibilities. Disruption basically means the future is going to be different from the past. So how can we as leaders develop learning practices and learning infrastructures that not only reflect on the past, that may be necessary, but it's never sufficient when you deal with disruption, but also that allow us to sense and actualize emerging future possibilities. And that's really what Theory U does. And the main point about Theory U is that to do that, right, to really, and that's what I heard from so many innovators, to do that, you need to rely on not only the knowing of your head, but also the knowing of your heart and the knowing of your hands, which is the learning by doing. So in other words, when you deal with disruption and the only intelligence you rely on is the one that resides above your neck, that's a problem because our open mind is brilliant, IQ is brilliant, but it's only looking one direction, which tends to be the past. If you want to connect with emerging future possibilities, you need to develop your sensing capacities. You need to get out of your own bubble. You need to put yourself into the places of most potential. And you really need to engage in deep listening and deep dialogue and really 
using your feelings, I would say, not as traditional emotions where you just react inward, but as organs of perception, where you sense into how other communities, how other people, how other stakeholders are sensing and experiencing the situation. So empathy, compassion, and courage as core capacities that we need to practice as leaders when we deal with challenges of disruption. So what does it take to, to respond to challenges of disruption? And the answer from a theory you perspective is, it takes a journey, a journey that in part is an outer journey that is moving you to the edges of the system, but to significant parts also is an inner journey, an inner journey of opening the mind, opening the heart, opening the will, by which I mean seeing with fresh eyes, empathizing with the capacity to see a situation through the eyes of your stakeholders and feel what they are feeling. And then open will, what is that? That's basically letting go and letting come, right? The capacity of letting go of everything that isn't essential and tune into that what is wanting to emerge. That was really helpful from a conceptual perspective. Can you now walk us through a practical example for listeners who are saying, okay, I think I got it, but let me hear an application so that I, I can ensure that I grasp it. Sure. So the shorthand of the, the you process. So if you want to really boil it down to just four words or eight words, uh, you could say it's seeing it, sensing it, which is feeling it, and then being it, really connecting with what it is that is wanting to emerge, and then doing it or co-creating it. So that's, in a nutshell, the journey. And it can happen in many situations. For example, I am teaching half-term class on that, so here at MIT. And one of the things that are, so it's only like seven weeks something. And one of the things that has surprised me most is because most people say, yeah, so you're either a good listener or, or not so good a listener. And we tend to take that for granted. And what I'm almost shocked by is how much, in fact, you can profoundly shift your mode of listening in a matter of weeks. And what it takes is practice. So it, it's like two or three things what it takes. So it takes is number one, a tool, right? In this case, the tool is to differentiate four different levels of listening. Level one is projecting your old stuff. Level two is kind of uh, factual listening. You notice what's interesting, what's new, kind of uh, disconfirming data. Level three is empathic listening. You use your heart and you begin to see or sense the situation through the eyes of another. And then level four is generative listening, which is really kind of you move into the co-creative realm, kind of where some, something new is being born one way or another. Think about a great coach, right? What a great coach would do for, for you. So, so that would, that's usually related to level four listening. So that's the distinction part, element one. Element two is, that you practice that and that you review your daily levels of listening in the evening. You take just five minutes in the evening and you review the day by asking yourself, how many hours did I spend on level one? Just 
only noticing what I already knew, right? How many hours did I, what percentage of my time did I spend on level two, paying attention to what's surprising, what's new? Level three, empathic listening, sensing, seeing a situation through the eyes of another, or even level four. So that's kind of element two. And element three is that you have a small group where you can practice level three and four. So and basically that is using a certain process, which basically is a case clinic process in, in, in the case of that class. And what's shocking to most people is how quick, how deep you can go if you just build the container condition in the right way. So container condition is a lingo that facilitators use, as some of you will know. And what it really means, it's like holding space. So it's kind of how you move into a space, kind of the arrangement. The holding space can be physical, can be digital, can be ground rules, right? And also like a commitment, whether or not it's a safe space, kind of where, where it's confidential, and whether, you, whether or not you practice deep listening with one another. So, those are, so that's kind of the holding space. If you design the holding space in the right way, and if, if then, so if you go to the Presencing Institute website, his clinic is the tool. So there's a tool section and it's, it's all open source. And so that's where you have a 60 minute process that in a very reliable way, if you have four or five people to do, to do that together with, brings you into an experience that is very reliably level three and four. And you do that for a few weeks, then you're listening and the way you pay attention to the wall is changing. And then you can say it's significantly deepened. My listening is different and the way I pay attention to is different, but that's maybe not that big a deal. But when you, when you think about that, right? When you're listening and the way you pay attention is different, it means that your experience of the world is different. And when that is different, it basically means everything is different. So it is a profound shift that can happen in a relatively short amount of time. If only you put into place this kind of enabling infrastructure that I just described to you. And that's an example of how you can apply theory, methods, and tools on a level that is both leadership level, but it's also very personal because it immediately shifts the way you relate to other people. If you want to sum up the essence of this approach, so of course, there's a whole systems equivalent also for that. So for example, I'm currently running a intervention also with a number of UN organizations. So that's another, you know, you can apply that to the, to the corporate level. There's a whole system level, but it really starts with the individual. It starts often with listening, as I just described. And if you want to sum up that approach in a, in, a, in a slogan, you could say, and many of you may remember kind of from school philosophy class, Descartes, I think therefore I am. So that's not exactly what theory U does and says. Theory U says, I pay attention this way, therefore it emerges that way. So theory U is drawing our attention that what happens in a conversation, what happens in the world around us, what happens in a dialogue that I have with another person is a function of the quality of attention that I bring into the world, is a function of the quality of listening that I apply to a situation. So what theory U does is, is really highlighting the hidden agency 
that we often have as individuals, but also as teams and as uh, on a collective level that if not highlighted, remains unnoticed and also unused. I think about using something, a process very similar to Theory U when I was helping a client solve a problem about saving money. So they had a proposal. It was a restaurant chain and they were trying to manage costs as everyone does. And one of their recommendations was cutting the food allowance of employees. So at that point in time, they had unlimited meals. The proposal was cut cut what they could eat. And then in through this deep listening and taking the perspective of the stakeholders, what they realized was their employees are not just high school kids who go home to their parents' house, but they're heads of households. And the food they eat at work is often the only food that they'll eat during that day. And certainly the best food that they'll eat, even if it's not the most healthy. And through that deeper sense of essence and and looking at their values and who are we, the people running the organization in this context, they took a very different course of action. So that sense of listening in from their highest values not just from the perspective of finances, caused them to take a very different course of action. And to me, that was an example of listening more deeply and generatively than, than just solving a problem, but, but emerging as the organization they wanted to be where people chose to work there and were dedicated to that experience and to the organization because of who they are collectively, and who they are are choosing to be going forward. Can you add to that, maybe, and I'm just trying to find a way to illustrate in a practical sense how we use it to solve a a real business problem? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that is very applicable. And it brings to mind what often is a problem when we look at examples of leadership failure. Right. So uh, leadership failure is basically, you know, when you double click on there's many examples around us, when you double click on that at the root often is disconnect with reality, leaders disconnected with reality. We are just at the tail end here of uh, administration, a four year administration that has produced a colossal monumental failure in terms of COVID response. And when you double click at the root of that, what is at the root of that? It's disconnect with reality, divorced from reality, divorced from data, and divorced from listening to data. So listening and paying attention to data, even though we may not like what the data is trying to tell us, is really at the core of all leadership. And the lack thereof is at the root of all leadership failures, particularly when when you happen to operate in the mom- in a moment of disruption. This is Otto Scharmer and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about Otto's new book on Theory U. And I encourage you as listeners to think about what leadership failures you have either caused or experienced, and in what way was that disconnecting with the data and disconnecting with your own sense of self contributing to the shortfall in that situation? This is one of my opportunities to talk to a leading author who I've followed for a long time. And so I'm going to jump in with the question, Otto, especially as you talk about consciousness and leaders and awareness, 
what is different now and what is required more from leaders now than pre-pandemic? It seems like the world shifted during at the point where we identified the pandemic. We were talking about before that the rate of artificial intelligence and machine learning and technology accelerating systems change and that the idea that we live in a global context and things that happen on one part of the globe impact all of us. I think for most of us that the pandemic really punctuated that view that we can no longer separate what happens in one country from another because we're watching a virus go around the world very quickly, as does pollution and other factors. So help our listeners understand what you are seeing at this point in time about what is changing with regard to leadership. I'm happy to. I think what the um, current moment is changing about leadership is it's just highlighting things that were already clear before. I think one is certainly that we all need to learn and we probably have kind of how to create these safe spaces where you can experience embodied forms of learning, where you can experience social resonance. So I feel how another person is feeling and where you can connect to emerging future possibilities, how to do that online. I think that's kind of, uh, yeah, we know it's more difficult online than uh, being in person, but that's what we are dealt with. So I think that was one. Another thing we are seeing is that if you're a leader and you lead a moment of disruption, just minding your own business is no longer good enough. You are responsible, as you indicated with your example, you're responsible for the well-being of your community because you are a big part of what determines the uh, the well-being in your own ecosystem. So paying attention to the bigger picture and also taking a stand in situations where maybe years back we would have said, well, that's not my business, kind of that's maybe um, we don't want to get involved in politics and that kind of thing. I think that is still a good rule, right, to not overly get involved in politics. But what we define as political and whatnot has been shifting, right? Because if the well-being of the community, if, if the well-being, the foundations of how we operate our economy is at stake, then you need to take a stance. And if you don't take a stand, then that's a statement too, right? So that's certainly, so if you are a leader who happen to be at the helm in a moment of disruption, part of your job is to pay attention to the larger situation and to be responsive to that. Then I would say what we also, I mean, I, I remember it was already uh, the first time I really saw that firsthand. That was in 2008, right after the financial crisis. I was working with a global company that was hugely disrupted in many of their global markets by the uh, financial crisis, basically going from 120% uh, close to zero and adapting to that and so forth. So being engaged with uh, leadership or part of the leadership system, what I um, found fascinating is that the same situation, so it was one company facing one situation, kind of this challenge of disruption back then, had very different impact in different parts of the organization. So in some groups, 
in some areas of the organization, you could see that leadership was rising to the occasion. You could see that the morale was going up and that people really worked together in more co-creative and more right, inspired ways than they had been actually doing before. That's really kind of this rising to the occasion, not as one individual, but really as a leadership system that needs to, when you define leadership as we do here, at MIT as more like a systemic, as a distributed phenomenon. So in my view, the essence of leadership is really the capacity of a system to sense and step into the future, to sense and shape the future. So that was uh, parts of the organization. Then in other parts of the organization, you could see the exact opposite. So the same situation resulting in people retreating, being frustrated, confused, not knowing how to respond. And so the morale was dropping at the other end of the scale and towards the other end of the scale. What I learned from that microcosm was that experience is not what happens to us. Experience is what we do with what happens to us. So how we respond to what happens to us. Whether when I apply an open mind and open heart and open will, for example, in a leadership situation where no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, am I visible to my team? Am I reaching out? Am I leaning into that situation? Or do I pull out and you know, pull myself out of the situation, avoid the contact, the difficult contact with the front line? And then, you know, in my back office, try to develop some analytical frame and, and so on. So it's kind of this inner place that we operate from, whether we kind of lean into something or whether we uh, move more into a freeze reaction that has such a big impact on the reality that we create in our own organization. When you now abstract from that, so that really is an example for what matters, right, in a moment of disruption is whether you have the capacity to lean into and sense into what is wanting to happen and then go with that, or whether you're basically move into the opposite direction, whether you have a freeze reaction that is understandable that your, your system is doing in order to protect you, right, because maybe it's, it's, it's too much, but which then results in some of the phenomena that, that, that I just described. So that's, that's certainly more clear. And then maybe the last example or thing I would like to highlight in a situation, in, in the situation we are, we are in, is that leaders, I believe, need to create a holding space. And in fact, kind of creating holding spaces is maybe one of the most important capacities that leaders need to develop in these days. And here's the data point and the example. When COVID hit in March 2020, so we at the Presencing Institute, we created a rapid response that we called GAIA as an acronym for Global Activation of Intention and Action. And it was basically something very simple. We said, look, every other week we'll come together here. We'll have like a 90 minute session and you're invited to just lean into the current moment. That's all we do, right? We use mindfulness practices. We use social art practices. We use dialogue. We put people in small groups and we invited them to, uh, you know, basically 
connect not only with the outer story, what happens to them, but also kind of with uh, linking that with their own inner resonances and questions they have in the current situation. And we did that over three months, basically, like 13 weeks, I think, altogether. We had 13,000 people participating, 7,000 of which really came regularly throughout the entire, and then, you know, some people dropping in and out. And we had a very significant number, I think it was over a third, talking about life-changing experiences, particularly in regard to the holding space, kind of to realizing that what they thought was just their own personal private experience was shared by so many other people around the world. And that was really an eye-opener to me to see that if you only, because we really didn't take people through a very elaborate journey there, right? There was a little bit of that, but it was mainly creating a holding space that would allow them to connect to each other. And yet it was transformative to, uh, you know, to thousands of them. So, so at least a third. So that's, I think, an example for this holding space, right? Which, which almost looks like nothing. Kind of most people don't even notice what a good holding space is, but we all know what a holding space is when it's not there, right? What a bad holding space is. So people are frustrated, confused, low commitment of energy, all the... Um, people dropping in and out, and there's no shared energy, there's no shared attention, there's no sense of co-creativity, there's no sense of agency. Also, all of that, in my view, is a function of the holding space. So to sum that up, I would say, from a theory you perspective, the quality of results that we see in in a business, that we see in an organization, is a function of the quality of relationships among the people kind of who operate in that system. And the quality of relationships among people is a function of the holding space that we put into place. That's why this holding space, kind of this uh, the container conditions, the inner and the outer conditions that we bring in as leaders are so critical. And that, that would be the last thing I say, maybe this moment, the 2020 moment has taught us in terms of leadership. You know, I want to add to that with with respect is I have to also have contact with my own inner experience. And I think of what I was taught in traditional leadership is it's more about what I do, not who I am. And for many people, this is a first time they have had to show up differently so that they're people could engage with them, that the level of authenticity when we're working from home and you can see kids running in and out of the room or you can see my home at this moment. And that's just the concrete reality. It doesn't talk about my hopes and fears and my dreams for the future and my values. What are my values during COVID as I watched my grandmother die or actually didn't get to watch her die because I couldn't go as I'm experiencing my mom's Alzheimer's accelerate because she's isolated. The emotions that were, when I started working, seen as unprofessional to share. At this point in time, that sense of who I am and what I bring to the container also really matters. And and I think you talk a lot about that in the idea of presencing. So can you give our listeners a couple of minutes on how do I access that for people who are 
unaccustomed and uncomfortable leaning in and sharing more of their full being than has been acceptable. It hasn't even been acceptable in many large enterprises until now. You're um, absolutely right that, uh, that that was, in fact, kind of the main theme that came up in these Gaia gatherings, right? It's almost as if you, so when you create a certain atmosphere, and, and of course, as a leader, kind of how you show up, right? So the ex- examples that you sh- share, and also the frameworks that, that you introduce, give permission or not. And I'm quite aware that part of the impact that Theory U has had is that it is a framework that gives permission to both the outer and the inner reality. That is applying science and observation, both to the outer data, but also to the inner data, which are our feelings. I remember my um, mentor here at MIT, at Shine, saying, everything that you experience in a situation is data, right? So the other, the, the compliment was everything you do in terms of diagnostics is an intervention, right? Everything you do is an intervention and everything you experience, right? All your feelings and all your senses is data about the situation. And I think when we talk in leadership about refined practitioner development, it is about reading these subtle data with more skill, right? Paying attention to them with more skill. And when you create a container that gives permission to bring the interior dimension of leadership into a situation, it is a game changer, right? Because it allows a whole other level of creativity and co-creativity to come in that you do not get when you just refer to external data. I just wanted to interject. It also then requires me as the leader to clean up my feelings, to be clear about what's prompting a feeling. So if I'm angry, make sure that if if I'm feeling anger and I'm interacting with someone, that that anger is actually related to that person, not something that's happening with my mother at a distance, or that as leaders, we have a responsibility to be effective with our inner tools. Yeah. It can be emotions or negative emotions. It can be the voice of judgment that we have against others, against ourselves. Can be the voice of cynicism, how I, or the voice of fear, right? I mean, I think we all know these voices very well. Organizational life is filled with them. And the key for leadership is making them visible, becoming aware of them so you can make a conscious choice. And, and you are not just unconsciously uh, driven by them. So I would say the um, coming back to uh, really the, the, your earlier question, uh, presencing. So presencing is the capacity to sense and actualize the future as it emerges. It's the capacity to lean into the current moment with an eye on what is it actually that's uh, wanting to happen. And in that way, you can say the essence of theory based leadership is leading by letting go and letting come, right? Letting go of what no longer is essential and, and leaning in more into what is wanting to emerge in a situation, in a, a constellation or a life constellation that you are facing a, as a leader. And bringing in the more personal dimension and the interior dimension into that 
I think if, if you begin with your leadership team to have conversations on that level too, it opens up a whole other level of trust and of co-creativity. And that's where I find, particularly in these moments of disruption, where we can find a source of confidence and a source of individual and collective agency that is so much necessary right now. Otto, it has been such a joy to have this conversation with you, especially at this point in time where your, your work has always been important to me. And yet at this point, it seems like the impact you are having is elevating. And so I appreciate your willingness to take this amount of time to share with our listeners your latest work and deep insights that they can put into practice. Can you share with them your website and where else they might learn more about Theory U and presencing? Very happy to. So the website, there are two websites. The first one is autosharmer.com. So that's just my name that, that gets it to my homepage. There are a bunch of blogs and other resources uh, you can find there. And then the other website is presencing.org. There's obviously, obviously a link on my homepage also to that. But presencing.org, it's with a C in the center, presencing from presence. .org is institute that is developing the methods and tools. If you go to the resource section there, you find a whole bunch of methods and tools in other ways of capacity building opportunities, including the uh, U Academy. So you find that there and including on the free online offerings through edX, kind of the ULab offering, which really has open access to the whole foundational set of methods and tools. So that would be the ULab class on the edX uh, learning platform. So those are the, the, the two main ones. Thank you. Thank you for sharing time with us, sharing your wisdom with our listeners, and for the brilliant work you continue to do in the world. Thank you so very much, Maureen, having me on. And what I forgot is if there's one book, I would suggest go directly to uh, the Essentials book because it's shorter, it's more accessible. And then uh, from there, if you want to some of the earlier publications, but that's probably the best short entry. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you again, I hope. Thank you for investing your precious time with us today. We're delighted to share the wisdom from the International Leadership Association 2020 Global Leadership Conference, Leading at the Edge. We encourage you to join for additional conversations. Please bookmark this podcast, subscribe, like it, share it with your friends and colleagues. Most importantly, Thank you for focusing on elevating your own leadership and making an impact in the world today.